0: Welcome to the Cognitive Rampage. I'm Adam Lowry, and these are the issues. On that as well, um, I also may share my screen with um, one of the articles that, uh, or at least the main article that I was reading. Um, I've gotten some responses back for it, uh, but if you actually read through the whole article uh, and what they're talking about is how they're doing the trial um, while they're applying the, you know, why they're doing running this trial right now. I think it's a good thing, to be honest. It's scary for some people when they see the picture that was used for that article. Um, You know, that that picture makes it look like they're passing out rave medicine. Um, And uh, I know that can scare a lot of people, even those that have experienced, you know, those pills themselves. Um, But they're talking about, you know, pure MDMA, not Molly or an ecstasy version. Uh, That's a totally different synthetic. Now, I'm not a big believer of synthetics anyway, Um, but for me, it shows they're at least beginning to think outside the box Um, and not just rely um, on old school thinking. There's a chance it's worked for some people. There's tons of people out there where where that's uh, been beneficial for them is to try MDMA or, or do other things like psychedelics as well. I'm a believer in psychedelic treatment when done right. Um, when it's done properly, you know, I think there's a different ways to approach certain things. You know, if, you know, some people approach alcohol as a time to get crazy and absolutely insane and, and do, you know, wild things. And some people see alcohol as a nice bottle of wine and a cigar and some see it as a, a Jameson and uh, a conversation with some friends. But, you know, taken to how you approach Whatever it is you're doing, I think intentions are are matter uh, matter in what you're doing. So if you're approaching, you know, MDMA or psychedelics in any sense, with the idea that look, this is something I'm going to do to get fucked up and enjoy some rave party or whatever. I mean, not that these things are bad in a sense either, because I can't condemn any of that. But if that's how you approach it, I think that's what it is, as opposed to you know approaching something with a mindset of treatment. Approaching something with a mindset of, you know, I like to refer to them as either purging states, maintenance states, or questioning states. Um, how you enter those treatments, if you will. Now, what this article is also referencing is they did a experiment years ago uh, doing this and using some psychedelics or some MDMA. And it was in a hospital setting and people argued uh, biasy from the unnatural setting. Uh so being in a hospital environment, I don't know if any of you out there have taken MDMA or ecstasy or done a psychedelic in your life. A hospital is not a place that you want to be sitting at. So I would agree with the bias in, in that first attempt. So what makes this one different um, is the idea that it, they're doing it in a therapeutic environment with a psychologist and not a psychiatrist. So they're kind of taking the medical aspect out of it, which I think is really unique in the experiment. It's scary to some people, but again, there's tons of research out there about how this type of treatment has changed people's lives. I mean, people that have battled depression, alcoholism, PTSD for decades have done one treatment with, say, ayahuasca, ibogaine, DMT, uh, MDMA even, and in one treatment, it stops. Now. If we want to answer why that is we can't but if it did it understanding why definitely would help us try to recreate that so i mean i think we do need to further understand why but it does and so do not to deny the fact that it does help people and it does change lives is naive uh i mean there's tons of research out there so i'm looking forward to seeing what they bring up with this this experiment. You know, the other difference in this experiment is also they're talking about microdosing. Now, I'll walk you through uh, an idea of microdosing is, let's say, uh, an avid user of psychedelics, say that psilocybin mushrooms or whatever, they could probably ingest three to five grams in between there, um, given tolerance levels or what they're, what they can be ready for. So, I mean, we'll just average it five grams or whatever for easy math, but let's say someone doses that five grams and the next day they five gram dose again, they're going to get less than what they had the day before as far as effects are. Then if the third day they dose the same amount, they're going to get little to no effects uh, and so forth. Now, if they were to skip one day between that, then its effects would um, be close to the same. So the idea that psychedelics themselves aren't addictive in nature because one it's like your brain just shuts off i can't give you the medical behind it remember that's not my field i'm not a scientist and i'm not a uh, doctor but um i've used them i've been on them before i understand them as a treatment process and so microdosing essentially says look if you cut the dose in half you're going to alleviate some visuals and auditory type hallucinations, um, heavier um, visuals, if you will, Uh, it, it will be influenced. So then imagine cutting that in half, that in half and so forth. And you get down to say a 200 milligram dose, if you will. Now they've already done these tests with some people that were taking antidepressants. And this is where psychedelics come in rather than also looking at it as I'll get back to the microdosing, but rather looking at it as this, one bang time fix. It's also being researched as a substitute for antidepressants. And these are uh, psilocybin, psychedelics, things like that. So, if you can, in, in this test they did, where they uh, had people that used to take antidepressants, etc., hand them microdoses two hundred milligrams. I could be off. I'm not sure of microdosing. And then they would skip a day, et cetera. You'd have to, I have to find the study, but essentially you micro on a Monday, micro dose on a Tuesday, don't dose on a Wednesday, micro on a Thursday. And after the study, it was funny. What came back was the number one thing that people found that they could do, uh, was tolerate annoying people. That, that was the response. I mean, that's something we're all trying to do every day. Right. So, um, showing that I mean, micro dosing and a natural existing product of uh, like psilocybin, microdosing dosing and psilocybin can eliminate, uh, possibly eliminate or alleviate the need for antidepressants. And so that's dangerous and that scares big pharma, you know, that threatens the profit. So uh, all the propaganda, you know, is out and has been out for a long time. Same goes with marijuana. Now, MDMA is a different beast, even in my world, because that's a synthetic um, compound. So, I think when you start getting into the synthetics, there's just as a risk in naturals too that can affect the individual. Um, but no one's ever died on marijuana. And as far as I know, no one's overdosed on psilocybin. Um, so, there's about 20,000 deaths a year just on Oxycontin alone. Just on Oxycontin alone. I referenced that article yesterday uh, about how that the family that, one family owns uh, one-third of the painkiller market with OxyContin. They had just made the Forbes list at three point eight or $3.1 billion net profit on OxyContin, even though their marketing plan revealed that they specifically targeted doctors that were pretty open with pain prescriptions and then sold it to these doctors as a safe alternative for pain medication. <laughs> yeah. So while they're celebrating making the Forbes list, Friends and people that you and I know are doing hard time for some fucking weed or mushrooms even, right? And so these people's lives and daughters' and sons' lives are changed because of natural existing substances that have never killed anyone. But these people get celebrated for making the Forbes list and making that money. Why 20,000 people on their drug alone die a year? I mean, that's what's happening. And so when I see treatments like MDMA... You know, being talked about and maybe, you know, at least being tested now, it shows that we're starting to possibly come out of the box, that we may really be, you know, at least we're expanding into different mindsets, really. And the fact that they eliminated psychiatrists as being involved in this was something big for me, because I think psychiatrists possibly, now could bring in bias. I mean, their whole work is done around pills. They didn't used to be it used to be counseling and pharmacology, but now it's just pharmacology, so I mean having that those people administer the test and do the observations I think brings in huge bias and possibly the same by bringing in psychologists that are pro or con. Um, if you out there can invent the perfect test, then do so, but that's yet to have been done. but the fact they're finally beginning to test this um, investigate it, there may be a way to where they can find a, a safe amount, you know? Um, and it is true. Those of you that have done ecstasy or MDMA before, um, such as myself, we understand that the the coming down off of that, the serotonin depletion that, that's on the back end. And I've come to find out with um, psilocybin in certain strains that happens as well. Uh, but, you know, taking certain things like New Mood from uh, Onnit.com uh, and any other 5-HTP uh, supplement. The day after or the night prior before sleep, that night of, uh, really curbs those effects hardcore. Um, So there's ways around that as well. But seeing that this is just happening, you know, that we're researching these other avenues, still synthetic, you know, know, not that I'm all anti-synthetic because you can't cure cancer. Well, some people will claim they have and some may have. So I can't I can't who the fuck am I going to say that they haven't. So. Some have cured it holistically for sure. And, but to approach medical diagnosis like cancer or mechanical things, you know, organic and clean definitely helps. These are ways to go, but we can't rule out medicine altogether, synthetic altogether. Um, You know, we, shit, I say we can. Yeah, we can. I mean, anybody can. Maybe I don't think it's safe to, uh, fuck, I don't know. But it's a sign, you know, and there's all kinds of psychedelic treatments being done all over the, the world, all over the globe. There's some research being done in Germany, too, um, that's really cutting edge uh, on what's happening. There's a plant called Ibogaine that comes out of Africa that has shown to uh, really reduce uh, cravings. And sometimes I've, I've heard, um, I want to say a cure for alcoholism because that's not, I mean, has turned alcoholics' lives around in just one use of Ibogaine. Um, I'm sure everybody in some sense have seen the things of ayahuasca and the soldiers and PTSD. There's tons of that information out there. I will tell you a podcast to listen to is Amber Lyon. Amber Lyon with a L, L Y. I'm sorry, with a Y, not an I, but Amber Lyon's podcast is amazing. She's a really, really interesting, interesting woman um, who discovered the power of psychedelics in her own journey to find herself. And she has done that the way I see it. and, she started this podcast to kind of bring people on. And she had a guest on there that talked about how MDMA had changed her life. It's at reset.me, but you'll find Amber Lyon's podcast on there on reset.me, but definitely check out Amber Lyon's podcast. She's really a unique individual who's been very brave uh, and changed her whole life uh, because of her experiences. Uh, so definitely check out Amber Lyon if- want to get more of that uh, but look at reset.com and that video i was playing is titled why mdma therapy works and like i said amber lyon's podcast will cover a lot of that anyway uh, but definitely tune in if you're interested in what those can really do um for your life but remember it's how we approach things and my point i got 30 seconds before we cut down here um it's about how you approach things and be open to the possibilities. If immediately your mind goes to, oh no, what's next? you know, I ask you to question what those concrete beliefs may be. Why is it you automatically react in fear to a possibility of this? And then when you begin to answer that, those questions with statements that you think are facts, question those. And then question your own answers to how you're answering those questions. And really see that, you're probably just responding in some concrete Manchurian candidate way because of things you've been told, taught, or maybe even experienced. But remember, your beliefs come from your past experiences, and they create your perception, not the truth. So because you've experienced things, you believe this to be the only truth that exists in the world. And most of us are not willing to question our own truths and open the possibilities to other people's beliefs and experiences. I think that's the humility, but It's exciting stuff to see what's happening. Thanks for joining.